0: This is a GRDC podcast. In Boat Victoria, grower Charlie Youngman and consultant Amy Fay are out in a paddock of establishing canola. They're monitoring for red-legged earth mites. They have a copy of the Red-legged Earth mite best management practice guide with them. It's packed with handy information, including tips on identification. Hey, Amy, can you please come
1: over here with the booklet? Um, I've just wanted to double-check that this is a red-legged earth mite and not a blue oat mite.
0: Yeah, sure. I'm Hilary Sims, and this podcast unpacks the information contained within this guide. Specifically, factors that influence red-legged earth mite numbers in canola and the proactive integrated pest management, or IPM, strategies available to growers. To tell us more, I'm joined by Dr Paul Umina.
1: The red-legged earth mite is a major pest of grain crops uh, and pastures.
0: Paul is an entomologist and director of the Melbourne-based research organisation, Cesa. He's an expert on pests affecting the Australian grains industry.
1: It's found in a huge variety of, of crop types, including cereals, pulses, uh, lucerne and of course canola. Uh, it's a pest that is very widespread in southern Australia. So it's located right across the cropping regions in WA, South Australia, Victoria, Tasmania and southern New South Wales, but it's not a pest that's found in crops in northern New South Wales or Queensland. Uh, The red-legged earth mites are particularly damaging to crops during the seedling establishment phase and I guess the impact of red-legged earth mites, while it does vary uh, from year to year, is generally most significant in canola.
0: Paul's quick to flag the main challenge of red-legged earth mite. It's increasing resistance to insecticide chemistries.
1: The use of chemicals against mites continues to grow in grain crops and pastures uh, in Australia. And we know that, of course, this places strong selection pressure on the evolution of resistance or for the evolution of resistance. So unfortunately, we have high levels of resistance to synthetic pyrethroids, um, and that's becoming quite common in red earth earthmite populations. We also have localised resistance to organophosphates, which has been discovered in many properties in WA, South Australia, and also very recently in Victoria. So IPM aims to reduce the number of pesticide applications, of course, while still very much achieving effective control of the pest. So by implementing IPM, we reduce the selection pressure for further resistance evolution and that's obviously critically important in a species like red-legged earth mites.
0: So what's IPM look like for red-legged earth mite? Well first it's important to understand the factors that contribute to a conducive environment and high pest numbers.
1: Unlike many invertebrate pests red-legged earth mites are far more predictable in regards to the years and conditions that lead to outbreaks. For example, we know red-legged earth mites favour legume dominated pastures, particularly if there's broadleaf weeds in these pastures, so things like capeweed. And we also know that crops like canola are highly vulnerable to attack from red-legged earth mites in autumn and winter. So a high risk situation occurs when canola is sown into a paddock, for example, that was pasture last year, especially if there was no active management of those mites implemented. Conversely, red-legged earth mites do not build up in large numbers in cereal crops, so we know that consecutive cereal crops will be at much lower risk of red-legged earth mite outbreaks, especially if those paddocks are kept free of broadleaf weeds like capeweed.
0: So, Paul, what would you consider to be a proactive approach for dealing with this pest? Uh, Where in the cropping cycle should an IPM strategy start?
1: In the case of red-legged earth mites, growers really probably should be thinking about IPM strategies well before sowing. Um, And in fact, uh, I guess a critical period for red-legged earth mite management is the previous spring. So really, if we go back to spring, depending on the number of mites that are present in any given paddock and the crop that is expected to be sown the following year, growers may in fact decide to use a time-right spray. And extensive trials have shown that one carefully timed chemical spray in spring can reduce red-legged earth mite numbers the following autumn by, you know, in excess of 95%. So very effective. So really it's, it's spring in the previous year when growers should start to proactively think about red-legged earth
0: mites. And what about coming into sowing? What are the approaches growers should take given what we know about the potential damage this pest can do in crop establishment?
1: Coming into sowing, um, I guess growers um, ideally should be assessing the risk of red legged earth mites um, and the outbreaks that might occur, but that needs to be done on a paddock by paddock basis. Um, It can vary considerably based on, uh, I guess, the cropping history of each paddock. So if the risk is low and growers have the option, it would be advisable to not use an insecticide seed treatment on the seed. However, of course, if the risk of red-legged earth mites is deemed moderate or high, then, you know, absolutely, I think insecticide seed treatments should be considered. They're very effective, um, particularly if sowing a very vulnerable crop type.
0: Paul, how important is monitoring for red-legged earth mite activity around this time of crop emergence? And what are your tips on getting it right?
1: Monitoring is central to all integrated pest management programs. Uh, Monitoring I guess really allows us to estimate and to accurately estimate the numbers of a given pest within a paddock. So using monitoring information and using estimates of numbers, we can then determine whether any active management measures are actually required. So in the case of red-legged earth mites, the critical period for monitoring is during that seedling establishment phase. Um, And I would suggest really that we're monitoring for uh, those, uh, those mites probably around five to six weeks after crop emergence. That's really that critical monitoring period for a pest like red-legged earth mites. Um, In terms of how you do it, really the best approach is to uh, visually inspect for the presence of mites, either on the soil surface or up on the emerging cotyledons and and crops. Um, And not critical, but, you know, if you can, monitoring in the kind of the mid-morning or on overcast days is probably best just because it's when mites are most active.
0: Hey Charlie, there's a few red-legged earth mites in the canola here. What do you think you'll do going forward?
1: I think because this canola's um, at its fourth true leaf stage, it's gone past the stage of these red-legged earth mites being detrimental to the plant. So yeah, I think we'll be okay from this stage on.
0: So if red-legged earth mite numbers are high, when is chemical intervention necessary? Well, unlike other insecticide-resistant pests like green peach aphid, the red-legged earth mite has established economic thresholds to help take the guesswork out of when to spray.
1: The decision to use insecticide for red-legged earth mite should be based on economic thresholds. Um, Once pest populations exceed these thresholds, then of course chemical intervention should be considered. Um, In addition to, I guess, these established thresholds that are available, there are also some good rules of thumb that can be used. Um, So, you know, for example, you know, we know that once canola reaches the four-true-leaf stage, feeding damage from mites is very unlikely to result in yield loss. So, you know, sprays really shouldn't be necessary um, for crops, uh, canola crops that are at that four-leaf stage or beyond. When chemical sprays are needed, and they will be needed, of course, from time to time, it is important to rotate chemical groups according to established resistance management strategies. And that's a really important point uh, in a species like red-legged earth mites that has uh, obviously the propensity to evolve resistance. We want to be avoiding the use of chemicals from the same group across consecutive generations of mites. Um, And I guess the other point I'd make is, of course, we would like to see, um, I guess, us avoiding broad-spectrum insecticides as much as possible. There is a relatively new chemical um, called Pegasus uh, that is now available in canola. This is a soft chemical. It has very good fit with IPM programs. It also has a very, very good fit with resistance management programs for red-legged earth mites.
0: So reduced insecticide use can really benefit a grower's bottom line but what about the benefits of reduced insecticide use on insect populations like the beneficials?
1: There are several benefits. The majority of insecticides we know affect a range of invertebrate species, not just the pests that we're actually targeting. So using fewer insecticides, of course, will reduce the negative impacts of these insecticides on beneficial insects. Beneficial insects, of course, are a critical part of IPM And we know they play a valuable role in managing pest insect populations in many crops and pastures in Australia. One of the other advantages is by reducing insecticide use, we also help to drive down that selection pressure for resistance development. And that's not just in red-legged earth mites, but other species that are present at the same time when chemicals are being applied, even if those are being targeted at mites. So the more we use chemicals, the greater the chance of new species evolving resistance. So, you know, any integrated pest management strategy that reduces insecticides will have a, a very uh, positive flow on effect in reducing insecticide resistance issues going forwards.
0: Now, Paul, all this information and more is available in the Red Legged Mite Best Management Practice Guide. What can growers expect from the guide and how would you like to see it used?
1: It's a fairly simple guide and I think what it does, it really outlines, uh, I guess, some recommendations, uh, some approaches that can be followed at different times uh, throughout the season. I think one of the the great little uh, innovations in that guide is a risk severity index, uh, which is basically a table that growers can fill out um, and ultimately determine the likely risk of a particular paddock Uh, to red-legged earth mites and of course once we know the risk um, we can then implement appropriate management strategies. The other resource that I'd point I guess people in the direction of is the National Resistance Management Strategy for red-legged earth mites. Both of these documents really spell out fairly simply um, some good principles and tactics around how to proactively manage red-legged earth mites uh, ensure that they're not causing economic damage, uh, but of course, uh, doing it in such a way that we are a little bit more sustainable and minimising the evolution of resistance uh, evolving further.
0: And finally, what are your key messages on proactively managing this pest from an IPM perspective?
1: Look, red-legged earth mites are a very cosmopolitan pest. Uh, they're present, as I mentioned, uh, right across southern Australia, and they're found in almost every uh, cropping and pasture paddock in that region. So they're very ubiquitous. However, of course, you know, they are reasonably well controlled with existing and conventional approaches, particularly insecticide seed treatments. However, we do need to be mindful that they, uh, they are evolving resistances and they are evolving new resistances. So we need to just be a little bit more strategic and a little bit more mindful of whether those insecticide seed treatments, those foliar applications are required Uh, in all situations and if we can implement some more integrated strategies, um, be a little bit more proactive with how we manage red-legged earth mites, I think it sets us up very well for the future.
0: That was Caesar entomologist Dr Paul Ueminer. Paul was sharing the latest insight on red-legged earth mite IPM approaches. This podcast is part of a mini-series exploring proactive management strategies for red-legged earth mite, green peach aphid and diamondback moth. It's all part of a wider GRDC investment on supporting the sustainable use of insecticides and IPM strategies for the southern region. A link to the red-legged earth mite best management practice guide and other useful resources can be found in the description box of this podcast or online at grdc.com.au. I'm Hilary Sims. Thanks for listening.